This is Minnesota Liberty, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, bringing you peace, prosperity, and freedom from the land of 10,000 lakes. Hello, and welcome to Minnesota Liberty, sponsored by the Libertarian Party of Minnesota. It's our podcast, and I think we're on our fifth episode today. I'm your host, Rebecca Whiting, with Hi, our I'm- other host. Hi, I'm Jason Cleats, the co-host of the evening. And we are going to talk with Carrie Locke this evening about ranked choice voting and kind of go over it and relations going on in the state right now. Um, but first, I want to take it a minute to remind everybody that the convention is coming up this weekend. If you would like to be part of the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, just uh, direct you to the lpmn.org website and join there. So without further ado, hi, how's it going? Hi, good to be here. Welcome, Carrie. Yeah. So hello, hello. I guess I'm just going to start out with what is your background? So I am a lawyer by training and I practice law. I have my own virtual law firm um, as kind of my professional sphere. I grew up in Minnesota, born and raised. I'm back in my hometown now, which is fun um, having my kids go to school here um, and be close to family. So that's good. Yeah. So what kind of law do you practice? I primarily do personal injury law. um, And I also do some family law for some select clients, as well as legal analysis and writing for other attorneys. So kind of contract work, if they get big memos and motions, and they don't want to do all of that very specific legal research. um, I do that on uh, kind of hourly basis or projects for other attorneys with overflow as well. Okay, cool. So it's kind of nice to like, I know when we talk a lot of times what you say is, um, you know, the the legal side of, you know, that kind of vocabulary. And, yeah. you know, it's it's just, it's very different. So a lot of times like, <laughs> I'm just going to ask Carrie and she'll be able to you know, understand <laughs> it and explain it. So, uh, but today we're talking about ranked choice voting and there is um, legislation that's going through our state. And do you want to explain maybe a little bit of background about that bill? Sure. So I haven't followed that bill uh, in particular. I actually found out that it was going through the state uh, when I was doing research to prepare for the voter choice uh, hearing that was heard at this very same committee meeting. Um, And but essentially what the, the bill does is it establishes a task force to review all of the things that would need to change or be modified and kind of come up with guidelines for um, how to transition to ranked choice voting if it were to be implemented. So it would uh, permit localities to use ranked choice voting if they wanted to. It doesn't require the use of ranked choice voting, but it would, you know, come up with the various uh, things that you need to address and how to do it and how to implement it and how to educate voters about the transition. Because I mean, as as we'll get into uh, ranked choice voting, I think is a very wonderful thing, but it is a new way to vote, a new way to process the votes. People need to understand how it's working. uh, And so there's just a lot to consider there. So what exactly is ranked choice voting? So the simple way to describe it is imagining you are sending a friend to get you a pop from a vending machine. You say, if they have Coke, I want Coke. If they don't, you know, I don't want Pepsi, I want Mountain Dew instead. And if they don't have either, just get me water, right? So those are kind of your priorities and you kind of rank them. And then when the, the other person goes to the vending machine, 
they if they don't have your ideal pick, there's an instant move of your vote to the next candidate. So how that functions in an election is you it, there, there are different types of ranked choice voting. But if you have a single winner, uh, a single winner election, um, currently we use first past the post, which means the person who has the most wins, even if they have less than half. Um, so it's the first one, you know, the one that gets the farthest, the one that gets the most. Uh, and then they take the whole thing and the, you know, the spoiler and all of that. There's, as we know, as libertarians, there's a lot of background. So how ranked choice voting works in this context is people would rank their first candidate, their second candidate, their third candidate, um, you know, on their ballot. And then if their first candidate, uh, well, first, if no candidate exceeds the threshold to win in the first round, then the candidate with the least amount of votes is eliminated. And the second choice for those voters is, is then looked at and those votes get reallocated. And then in the second round, if nobody is past the threshold needed to win, you go and, and you go and, you know, you keep eliminating the uh, additional options until there is a candidate who is past the threshold. So that could mean that we would potentially go to the polls and vote more than once. So the the goal, it's, it's called instant runoff voting uh, because you don't have a runoff later. So I think it was Georgia where they had senators. Nobody, you, you it's first past the post, but they have an interesting uh, caveat where you need to have more than 50%, I believe it was. And neither of the candidates got that because there was a third party candidate who pulled a significant amount of, of the votes away. And so those voters had to come back on a second election day in order to vote again between only those two candidates. Um, and ranked choice voting, the instant runoff ver version, you know, variety of it, there's several different versions, makes it so that won't happen, right? You rank them all in your order of preference. And then if there's not a clear winner in the first round, then there's an instant runoff and you don't have to go back to the polls, which actually has a really great effect for voter turnout because so many people wouldn't go to a second second election or wouldn't go back and vote a second time. There's a really big drop off when you see that. So for a state like Minnesota that um, you know prides itself on voter participation and, and things like that, um, the instant runoff model would you know include more people in the process. Um, so I was at the hearing for the House representatives where they talked mm -hmm. about, you know, the ranked choice voting. And there, so there was a lot of people testifying for and against it. And there it appeared to me and I didn't I guess I don't I didn't count because I wasn't uh, there was another bill coming later that I was there for. But um, in that case, it appeared as though there were a lot more people against it than there were for it. Um and a lot of those people were concerned about, um, and for instance, the Secretary of State was one of those people that testified, and he didn't have a position. He was neutral. Mm -hmm. But I remember him talking about concerns that, uh, you know, having the cost and having the ability to, like, pull it off in the state, and that even if they did pass the bill, that it would take a substantial amount of time to get everybody in the state kind of in a position where it could actually be functional. Um, yeah. So that is one thing that Steve Simon mentioned during his testimony. Um, he just says kind of a point of clarification, because I 
interested in ranked choice voting, so I was listening very carefully. Um, he was very careful to not oppose or support the bill. Um, he did clarify that he'd had many concerns about it and that the author, I believe, had submitted you know, an author's amendment to address those. So the author had worked with the, the, the Secretary of State's office and corrected a lot of those concerns that his office had had um, so that those would no longer be in this particular bill. Um, so that's interesting that you thought that there were a lot of people against it. I noticed there were many, many people there for it. So I was actually well, not. There were a lot know, of people there. there. Were a lot of, that is true. A lot of people there. Um, I would say that, though, that the, you know, kind of the the tenor of the objections to it, in my view, um, were were kind of just this concept of we've never done it that way before. And we think it seems bad. So, you know, there were jokes, they're not jokes, there were concerns about, you know, whether it's constitutional, because you only have one person, one vote. Well, okay, another name for the instant runoff voting is called a, a single transferable vote, because you're only casting a vote for one candidate. But if your ideal candidate loses, you wipe the whiteboard and then you re reallocate. So you ultimately only end up having one vote. It's just if, you know, a way to think of it is if you're, um, if there was uh, a runoff, right? Like if, if in Georgia, right? If there was, you, you cast your first, you cast your ballot in the first one and then that candidate didn't make enough, there wasn't enough threshold. And so they had to come up back on a second day. And the people who voted for the third party candidate were able to vote again. Um, so it just combines that process. Um, and, you know, Minnesota already has uh, implemented this. It's being done in Minneapolis to elect, to elect their local officials. So um, that's, you know, it's it's been reviewed by courts and it's there's no problem with it from that perspective. Um, regarding the cost of it, um, you know, there are, there are, uh, you know, maybe more paper might be needed or, you know, things like that. Um, but the specifics of the cost difference aren't known yet. That's something that the task force would look into. Uh, and, you know, for a state that prioritizes voter engagement, we still have a very large amount of the population that doesn't vote. And they feel like there's no point in voting because their candidate won't win and they don't want to engage in the process. So I, I view ranked choice voting as uh, the one change to the system that would have the largest ripple effects to advanced liberty because people can vote for third parties knowing that their vote won't be wasted or people can vote, actually vote their conscience. Uh, conscience without, um, you know, feeling like they're wasted. Uh, and it, it, I think it, it would just bring more people into the process. Yeah. So it, that day for the, you know, the House of Representatives, it was interesting because that bill was talking about, you know, getting more people in the ballot. Mm -hmm. And then the very next bill that we sat in on was talking about um, making the threshold higher for major party status, would which would restrict political parties. Yeah. And the very same committee that was hearing the ranked choice voting was also hearing the ballot access bill. Right. It was very interesting to hear how 
and it wasn't even the same committee. It was, I mean, I think you you said that literally yeah. the, the very next bill that the same yeah. committee reviewed. We didn't even leave reviewed. the we did, yeah. It was they finished, you know, approving ranked choice voting, extolling the virtues of third parties and the importance to have, you know, options and all of that and to empower voters and to include people, get people on the ballot. And the very next bill they considered was the was the opposite to prevent options on the ballot to make it harder for people to get on yep. um and that that bill actually that they're still kind of trying to push through uh is is kind of tied to some of the concerns that as far as i can make out that libertarians in particular object to using ranked choice voting for the ones who do object to it and it has to do with qualification for major party and and the, the concern is that, you know, if, if you vote for libertarians in the first round, um, but eventually your votes are reallocated, ultimately, if your your ballot is either exhausted because you didn't vote for any more candidates and none of yours were among the winners, or your vote gets reallocated to someone else. And so the concern is, you know, if we have to reach a certain percentage of the vote of a threshold, but the votes are being reallocated, so we're always going to get zero percent, then there's no way to meet the threshold. Right. A very simple solution for that is to use the first round percentages um, when determining thresholds. And the result for each um, the votes were very much so down uh, party lines. Yes. So in each case. The eight Democrats voted for the, you know, passing um, through the House and the four Republicans voted against it on mm -hmm. in both cases. Yeah. So yeah. Um, obviously it's, a, you know, not a partisan. Uh, it's it's a partisan issue. So it's yeah. I mean, it's nonpartisan support. Right. I mean, and it was interesting to note that, you know, regarding the increasing the barriers for for minor parties to major party status and ballot access and all that. The Republicans on the committee did note that there was not unified Republican support for it, as the GOP's statement, you know, seemed to indicate. So uh, that was that was very telling. Um, one of the one of the other little twists that libertarians, uh, you know, would be familiar with was would be familiar with. Uh, that words would be familiar with is a concept of NODA. So none of the above. And that can provide a wrinkle in a ranked choice voting um, if the system isn't set up properly. So again, this is one of the reasons for the task force to figure out what are all of the wrinkles, how would you need to educate voters and to, um, to have those resources. So each locality isn't reinventing the wheel and running into all the same problems, right? To have kind of a template and recommendations and issues to consider. NOTA would be one of those if it were an option in government elections and not, you know, internal things. But that might get more people out to um, vote. <laughs> <if there's NOTA. laughs> that might be an interesting way to do it, you know, in, in introduce an option to vote for NOTA. And if and if NOTA wins, like none of you guys are able to run again. You all just are horrible. Spirit. You just you lose. No, you can't run again. That would be great. I think we should offer great. that as an amendment. That would be wonderful. I would love that. Um, I'm in. Oh, yeah, that would be so good. Um, but the, the way that it functions uh, in um, rain trace voting just depends on 
the specific rules that are implemented to govern ranked choice voting, similar to the concern about whether or not somebody would meet the threshold. So if the ranked choice voting rules say that none of the above can never be eliminated or the ballot can never be spoiled or exhausted, then a small minority of votes can prevent the other candidates from reaching the thresholds that they need to. And that is particularly exacerbated when you have a heightened threshold. So instead of a 50% threshold or simple majority, you have two thirds or super majority or some heightened threshold. It makes it so that a very small number of votes can prevent their being elected, uh, you know, a successful winner or candidate or whatever it is, um, anyone from winning. And, and, you know, the two thirds or a heightened issue um, is related, but it's not particularly unique to NOTA. So even if nobody votes for none of the above, you know, everybody casts their ballots, but you have a heightened threshold of two thirds, theoretically, the split could go 49-51 and you don't have a winner. So um, that particular combination can be bad. But again, that's those are structural issues for how things get set up. And so if you treat none of the above as any other candidate, they get, you know, they get stricken, um, then you reallocate the votes, you know, all of that. Um, then it it solves part of that problem. And then again, if you don't have a heightened supermajority uh, threshold, then it um, really alleviates a lot of those concerns. Okay. So what what happens if if in ranked choice voting somebody just writes down or a fair number of people just write down one name as opposed to multiple names? How would that affect the so, vote? So if that candidate was if that candidate did not exceed the threshold to be elected in the first round and they were actually the lowest candidate, the candidate received the fewest votes, then that ballot that, you know, that voter gets crossed off and there's no more options for that voter. So, um, I mean, that happened that some people were really concerned about that, that you're disenfranchising people or, you know, that was kind of a concern at the committee hearing, but it's only disenfranchising people to the same extent that voting for anybody other than the legacy parties would be disenfranchising people because, because you're not, you know, your person's not going to win. The person you wanted, you voted for didn't win. Um, and so, you know, to that, to that same extent, it's, it's disenfranchising people. And um, I, I actually take issue with those who call it disenfranchisement because in reality, people are choosing not to vote for someone else. Now, again, is, that's assuming there's been good voter education campaigns. People understand it's ranked choice, right? You make that transition. But if people, if you're doing that education and explaining how it works and somebody intentionally only votes for one person, in my view, that's the same thing as doing one person NOTA, right? I mean, it's saying, I don't want, I don't want to support anybody else to win. Um, and that sends a really important signal to elected officials. You know, if they, if there are all, if there's, you know, 50% of the votes in the first round are a scattershot of third parties, and then a ton of them drop off because none of them voted in the second round, that is really, really useful information. You know, the Libertarian Party and Libertarian Party and third parties, all of that, the legalized can the cannabis parties, they're they're providing very important 
ideas and you know all of these things that were extolled during the the ranked choice voting you know the, the praises that they had for the third parties that there there's so many good ideas that appear in third parties before the legacy parties adopt them which makes sense um you know a smaller group of people get together and they agree on it and they keep beating that drum and then eventually it makes its way into the mainstream consciousness that that just makes sense um but it's really really it would be very valuable to getting helpful feedback um if people you know, believe in democracy and and want to have, you know, represent the voters and what they believe. And I'm here to work for you. Right. Well, if you had that signal to get more information back, um, you would really be able to read a lot of it. You know, if, if there's a large chunk of people who voted for the legalized cannabis now candidate in the first round, but it wasn't over the threshold, um, you know, then a different it prioritizes the urgency and ranking of interests of voters. You know, if you have um, a, you know, all of the, the different unique parties, right? If you have a, a let's just a hypothetical party that was 100% all about guns and we, we want everybody to have guns and we're going to repeal everything, right? <laughs> if, if more voters voted to legalize marijuana, you know, the marijuana now party and then less numbers, did, right? But like you can see what are voters top issues in that first round even if those candidates don't end up winning and it actually i mean it makes people feel like they have a voice right i mean people are actually voting for candidates they like instead of against candidates that they dislike um and so it just is a really a really really helpful tool to make people feel like they have a voice and it ultimately requires candidates in the long term to become more civil because if they're not the the first choice for voters they at least want to do some coalition building with maybe the minor parties so that they're the second choice um you know you're probably not going to get you're probably not going to swing someone from a uh you know 50 percent legacy party to the other 50 percent legacy. like that's probably not going to happen but um you know that it really encourages coalition building and civility with the other parties um there generally is tension once the third parties kind of start to creep up in in the percentages that they're gathering. Um, it it there's you know generally tension there, but um, I think it's a really good way to get third parties involved and to really have people's voices be heard for what are their priorities. So could there theoretically be like four Democrats and three Republicans all on the same ballot for ranked choice voting? Um. It, I mean, you it would it would have to be set up in a way that specifically says that's okay. okay. So, I mean, currently, you know, for a single winner race in Minnesota, there is a candidate that the party can put forward. Um, you know, if there were, you can do ranked choice voting in multiple winners, like for single city council or things like that, and you could have, you know, five Democrats running for two seats, but you already can have that. You know, you already can have multiple people from the same party running in a multi-winner election. Um, but the current setup for single winner elections doesn't allow that because you have to be the endorsed candidate for this spot mm -hmm. from, you know, from your party, from whatever it is. So that was a concern that some people noted, which, again, I was like, mm, that's not it doesn't have to be like that. <laughs> so if the bill like fully passes and it, and it goes through all the steps and it becomes law, um, are there any other states 
currently using ranked choice voting for statewide elections. There have been other states, I believe Alaska's doing it. Um, the the ranked choice voting resources organization has a really, really good, it's just a, a re resource center, sorry. They have a lot of really good resources or resource center. Um, and they work with, uh, they work with, really anybody who's dealing with ranked choice issues, they work with policymakers, they make with lawmakers to help them do that. And they have a list of jurisdictions that use RCV and links to their particular governing you know, statutes and all of their information. And they kind of explain how it works. Um, and they actually have a video on there that was done by NPR, Minnesota Public Radio, uh, when Minneapolis was, uh, you know, related to ranked choice voting and how it works and all that. I'm, and I believe it was sent out as part of the education campaign when Minneapolis was switching over to use ranked choice voting in their local issues in their, sorry, their local, um, local elections. Okay. Um, and then, so if, or when this passes, how long do they have, would it take effect the next statewide election? So um, the localities would need to opt into it. Um, what is happening now? I believe it's a like a two year or a three year process, something like that. Maybe two years, I think, for them to come up with these recommendations to work with the secretary of state. Um, the people who were on the committee, they're required to include the actual people a certain number of actual people in the counties who administer the elections um, to get that really good feedback of concerns and questions and how would it work and what would, you know, all these issues so that when the recommendations are being put together, uh, all of those things are addressed, right? So that you can have this really robust body of, you know, min Minnesota specific things that you should consider if you are going to do this for your locality. Um, and it, the, what it would allow is for, you know, as I've said several times, for local jurisdictions, for cities, for counties, for places that are doing the elections to opt in. It wouldn't require anybody to do it this way, um, but it would say you can if you want to, and you can do it for more than only the elections inside your jurisdiction. So that's why Minneapolis does it for like city council and like, you know, things like that, where it's only Minneapolis related is because they can't they currently cannot elect a statewide office with that method so it would permit them and it it i believe it is on the timeline where it would not be it would not be uh this body of literature and recommendations and all of that would not be uh allowed to sorry localities wouldn't be able to implement rcv until i believe after 2026 so they would not be able to do it for statewide elections during the 2026 election so it's it would be a couple years out and then there would need to be legislation as well based on the recommendations you know specifically modifications needed in statutes um all, all of that as well as the actual kind of body of information for the municipalities and for for the, the local jurisdictions um there would there would need to be proposal as well for changes to the law and that would need to work its way through so we would have the whole conversation again about whether or not we want to do want to do this actually do it um given whatever the results of that particular task force would be yeah um so you talked about the race in georgia mm -hmm. yes. um and that candidate was chase oliver 
right? Yes. So he's actually going to be at our convention this coming week. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. I well, I just found out too. So <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. While we were sitting here talking, got a, you know, a message. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know. Cool. That's really <laughs> no cool. You know, you know, the George, like the George one really was interesting because, um, you know, the, the talk of third parties as spoilers or, you know, messing anything up with that. It, again, it's a very, very helpful data point for the major parties or the legacy parties in Georgia that look, you have to campaign again. And yeah. you right, right. Like you have to actually get over this threshold. You can't just get the most out of everyone. And that means you have to try to appeal to these voters that didn't vote for you. Right. Like it really changes the strategy and, and moving forward, you know, not being so dismissive of the libertarian candidates so that they could maybe try and get some votes, you know, so trying to incorporate those ideas, you know, really back to what we were saying about new ideas and important things coming up through third parties. Um, just what happened in Georgia, uh, you know, a lot of people were upset by it and we're saying the libertarian candidate spoiled the election and now everybody has to do it all over, all over again. We have to do it all over again and this is ridiculous. And it's like, that is literally the point is that these two candidates were not appealing to the majority of people and the majority of people said no. And the legacy parties have to listen to that. So I understand people's frustration on it, um, which is something like instant runoff voting right choice voting would solve that problem but you know an alternative is having a minimum threshold where you know you have to in addition to getting the most votes you have to get up over a 50 percent threshold um yeah um but yeah i mean kind of as i mentioned that concept of, of like vote stealing or people that were mad with chase about how he took votes away from whatever candidate um ranked choice voting solves that it it right reallocates and you don't have to come back for a separate runoff because um, it's instant. Yeah. Yeah. I was just Googling really fast, trying to figure out what percentage he got. Cause honestly. Yeah. I don't, it wasn't a huge percentage, um, but it was, it was just over 2% he got. Yeah. It wasn't, it was a very, oh, well, I think it was more like five. I'm gonna look it I up. don't know, but it was, it was really, uh, it was a very close race. So the fact that he pulled, if I'm remembering correctly, he pulled a larger amount um, of votes than people were kind of expecting. And the other two candidates were really close. And so they, uh, neither one of them got up over that 50% threshold. Um, let me see. Okay. So actually I found here where, back to your question about where ranked choice voting is, is used. Um, it's in Alaska, Maine, New York City, Cambridge, Massachusetts, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and San Francisco. Okay. So, so I know um, I talked to, going into um, the committee, uh, I talked to a couple of our, you know, third party, it wasn't, wasn't all libertarians, but it was, you know, I talked to several other people that were also part of other third parties about what their opinion was about ranked choice voting and the bill in, you know, currently going through the process in the state. Um, mostly their concerns were that the Democrats were going to end up using it as a way to basically stack the vote. And we're going to use it as their, to their, to their own advantage, intentionally trying to push other parties out. Um, so what I know from talking to you that overall you generally support ranked choice voting. Um, but what would be some arguments against 
trying to, you know, like a, a bill like this, or maybe maybe some of the people people's concerns about the ways that it could be abused. Because honestly, right now in our country, there's a very low, um, you know, people are just generally untrustworthy of the voting process. Yeah. And so, so, I mean, a part of, uh, I've, I've tried very hard to engage people who do not uh, support ranked choice voting in, in explaining their reasons and providing me with resources to learn more about their, you know, objections. And as far as I can tell, you know, the concern about, stacking the vote or running a slate of, you know, a, a bunch of other candidates so that they would be reallocated to the Democrats. It One, you know, as we discussed, those candidates would have to be not actually endorsed or the nominated candidate for a single for a single victor election um, because the current laws in Minnesota specifically require that the candidate be nominated for position. And if there's a single victor, then there's one. So the other ones would like, it would have to be a behind the scenes thing where the voters couldn't be like, I'm going to vote for all the Democrats. And also there's not really a point to doing that at all in the single victor position, because all those people could just vote for the Democrat candidate in the first round. Like there's just no point in doing it. Um, as uh, you know, some of the other concerns are the about how a third party would reach voter thresholds, which we we talked about. And again, it's just it. All of the concerns that I have run up against are kind of objections to well, if it played out this way, then that would be really horrible, which I would agree with. <laughs> but you have barriers to that either in the statute, you know, now or the task force would right? Identify that this needs to be changed or they would come up and they would find these issues. Um, the, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there are, there are different types of, of ranked choice generally. And then the de you know, the, the devil's in the details. So very specifically how the statutes work, what are the, how are they operating? Um, it's, it's a, conceptual framework kind of like oh first past the post right the person who gets the most wins well except in this state you also have to be above 50 percent, right so it's like you can add in safeguards and other things based on concerns that people have um uh one of the one of the concerns i know uh an opponent at the hearing mentioned that there was a lot of frustration in alaska i think it was alaska um about how it played out and that really big concern. And I mean, again, like that's, that's a voter education issue because a lot of voters didn't know that they were supposed to rank multiple people. Um, and so then in that first election, people get really frustrated because they don't understand, you know, they show up to vote or they get their ballot, they figure it out, fill it out wrong, or they only vote once or whatever it is. And again, that's just, that's a voter education issue. Um, and in Minneapolis and, you know, there could be in a statewide move as well to just to really highlight how to fill out the ballot. And, you know, uh, Steve Simon's office, secretary of state's office, they have a lot of energy behind get out the vote, voter education, voter registration. You know, they they send out a lot of materials. They're very, very active in that. And so to me, that it seems like a very natural progression that as part of that campaign, you're easily notifying people, hey, you know, we're doing ranked choice voting and it'll be a little bit different. But, you know, you get to, you know, 
put people in the order that you would prefer them. And you know, this is how it looks like. This is a sample ballot, all of these things. So it, it really seems like there could be, or, or that there is a lot of space for overlap and utilizing some of the habits and systems that we already have, particularly in Minnesota, um, in order to make that transition easier. Oops. All right. Yeah. So is there a big difference between what Alaska is doing and what Maine is doing for their ranked choice voting? Uh, I do have an understanding that they differ in some ways. Yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure on the specifics of all of the 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 ones that are implemented um, in those areas. Um, I do know that there have been more states where I believe the Democrat, the DNC um, has used ranked choice voting in primaries. Um, so those voters would, you know, but they're not using the general election. So those voters would additionally be kind of familiar with ranked choice if they voted in the primary. Um, but there are a lot of, I mean, there are many different versions of, of ranked choice voting. Uh, and you know what well, there's proportion proportional ranked choice voting which the experience itself is pretty similar to actually i think it i think it's exactly the same <laughs> to voting in a single single uh victor race um but that's a obviously something that would be used for multiple seats um and you get the proportional award based on the number, um, the number that you uh, that you would receive. So it it uh, that's a very poor explanation of it. Um, but it, um, yeah, I mean that's that's the type of thing where where you the spoiling effect or the um, concerns about Democrats, you know, running a slate and swamping out everyone else or something like that. You know, if there's multiple victors and it is a partisan election, they already can do that. Um, so, again. I found the information about Chase Oliver. He got 2.07% oh, wow. of the vote. Wow. Um, that but that name. made it so that the Democrat mm -hmm. candidate for Senate only got 49.4 percent mm -hmm. mm -hmm. and the republican uh 48.4 so it was it was already a very very close race right. so right. i mean i feel like two percent of the vote is not a, that is not mm -hmm. a significant number especially not in a state mm -hmm. like um georgia you know mm -hmm. atlanta and all uh you know the, the population but two percent was enough to make them you know have to through some things right i mean and that that really you know some people are very upset that oh, two percent of the people this is ridiculous we have to come back and it's like okay but next election when it's a when the polls are saying it's really really tight you think those candidates are going to pay attention to the two percent right. yeah probably probably they will <laughs> they probably will um or you know they'll they'll make nods or you know try to be less demonizing or dismissive of people who hold that belief, which ultimately, you know, repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. Um, it, it leads to over time, you know, better outcomes, um, more civil communications, at least be between the, the parties and candidates who, you know, may not 
appear to be winning in the first round. Um, and there, you know, one of the other critiques that I guess would counter to what I just said, you know, some people say, oh, oh, places that have implemented it have not seen an increase in civility or they have not seen those things happen. Well, they, they also haven't had it implemented for very long. So, you know, the the situation in Georgia, it's it's kind of that adage of, you know, you don't want to make new law when there's a crisis because you're not going to be thinking straight. You're not going to make good policy. You don't you don't just want to say, here's a crisis. We need to change it now. It's like, OK, you need to, like, go back through and remember why it was set up. What's the purposes? Is this a you know big picture good thing for the system and how it's going to function? Um, and so, you know, to the people in Georgia who would be randomly listening to a Minnesota libertarian podcast. I don't know. But <laughs> they, might. People, they might. I don't know. You never know. Um, but to the people, you know, in Georgia, I understand that really, really big frustration. A lot of them probably didn't realize it needed to be over 50%, um, especially not if they, you know, regularly vote for one of the legacy parties. Um, but now they are. Right now they are. And now that system is functioning the way it was designed to. So in that case, the Democrat only got got less than thirty eight thousand more votes than the Republican. It was so a very very close. Me, yeah, that that two percent. I mean, that can be substantial. So if anybody's right. like, well, my vote doesn't count anyways. Mm-hmm. In, in this case, it did. You know, so right. Um, he he got eighty one thousand votes, but uh, you know the Republican was only thirty eight thousand behind right. the Democrat. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, and it really is, you know, that adage of, the, you know, spoiling elections will continue until liberty improves. <laughs> that, you know, like nobody wants to vote for you. You do not support liberty. So if you want to not have your election be spoiled, maybe try freedom. Right. Well, and then like the case of this, the response, instead of being like, well, maybe the third parties and the minority voters or the people who are, you know, voting in the minority are, um, you know, they're trying to tell us something, maybe we should listen, maybe we should try to be more competitive. Instead, their reaction is, well, we just need to limit third parties. Right. Which and that's the exact opposite. I mean, that's the exact opposite reaction to the information the point. you're getting. You're missing the entire point of what the voters are telling you, right? They're telling you, we don't see a noticeable difference between these two candidates even though they are, you know, at each other's throats and be, I, you know, I'm assuming, you know, I, I didn't follow the, the Georgia election all that closely before it happened. Um, but- Georgians are ex- an excitable bunch. So, <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I can say yeah, that. You can say that. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the election was very, very close, which means despite how far apart they are, the people are, were, you know, not seeing a clear winner, not wanting a clear winner, not like, and that very, very small uh, amount of voters voted for somebody who was very different <laughs> than those two. So it it is very useful information. And, you know, when we turn off that kind of information, that kind of feedback, when you don't see, when you ignore, you know, signals that something's happening, when you, um, you know, we, we saw that a lot from the government in the last couple of years, just ignoring all of the indicator signals that some things were not the way they were supposed to be. Um, but it, yeah, I mean, it's just the opposite reaction that you should have. Assuming, yeah. assuming any of the politicians actually care about what the people think, which the data actually suggests they don't. 
So with <laughs> race based voting, would it help secure elections in some sense? Uh, I know uh, election security has been a hot button hmm. topic since 2020. Yeah, that's a very good point. So um, in order to tabulate ranked choice votes when you have a large number uh, particularly when you have a large number of votes, right? I mean, it is an instant runoff. So if you don't have a clear winner in the first round, it can t- it takes more time to count them. You know, there's um, the the RCV Resource Center has resources, as one would expect, and that includes you know the software needed and recommended you know the machines and things like that that do tabulate them differently. Um, so it, it but. That would be a shift as well um, that would definitely need to be a lot of discussion with the population about. Because if there is not a winner in round one or round two or round three, right? Like you, the the longer it takes to come up with a winner, the more concerned people get that there's corruption and cheating and things like that. So that, I mean, that would definitely uh, have to be something that would need to be um you know kind of talked through with voters um i would be a supporter of saying you know this is where we are after the first round this was the result we don't have a winner we are going to reallocate and now we're doing the second round counting right so just like that people know in real time why it's taking so long what's you know what's going on um you know when things are reallocated how many were actually reallocated how many boils were spoiled how many you know didn't have a second candidate and so when their candidate got crossed off, that ballot is exhausted. Um, technically different things than spoiling, but um, the, the ballot is exhausted. You know, how many was that? And people can cross-reference the numbers and make sure you don't have a random, you know, 20,000, 30,000 jump in the number of ballot totals. Um, yeah, so that, I mean, so that, that RCV doesn't necessarily make it better. Um, it, I mean, it could, it could cause more concern, um, if there wasn't transparency with it, right? I mean, that's a lot of the concern with voting machines now, or that, you know, the various softwares are proprietary and the companies have all these secrets and that's a lot of the concern. So, uh, if RCV were implemented in a way that was transparent as to the counting of the different rounds, um, that I think that that would really go a long way. And and also, I mean, you you can't you can't simply say, "Oh, this would be a negative to it, therefore we shouldn't like this is the negative and there's there is a negative, therefore we shouldn't make the change." You also have to look at the benefit. Um and just my view of of, you know, talking with people, looking at the statistics, look at, you know, the huge number of people who consider who want a third party, right? Who want a different option and will also say, but I won't vote for it because that's not going to win, right? There's so much desire for people to feel hope. I mean, people want to feel like they have a voice in the system and they don't. And so that just can really, really lead to this skepticism and this spiral down into, um, you know, thinking the system's rigged, people are selected, right? All of that. And so if you empower voters to say, no, your voice will be heard in RCV and you can vote for who you actually want, that, 
I mean, and I don't have data on this. It's just kind of like talking with people and what would they think and all that. To me, that seems like that would be a much, much larger positive boost to voters um, and their belief in the system and feeling like they actually have a voice, right? The, the, the benefit to voter confidence would be so great that as long as you're also implementing safeguards like transparency at the different rounds and as much you know open source that you can do and all of that, um, as long as you're doing both of those, I feel like the net benefit would be so significant, um, not only to voter confidence, um, but also to, you know, down the line, actually having more than two parties, you know, elected. And then and then you start to get all these ripples because you have actual conversations where there's different ideas being presented and, you know, underlying premises are being challenged and, and all these different things that really start to ripple out. Um, and, you know, at the, this is kind of mixing the two concepts together, but at the the hearing um, about increasing the barriers to major party status and ballot access, you know, Rebecca, you pointed out that the, the country, the, the current country that we revolted against to break free from the king has like 17 different parties represented in its parliament. It's way more representative of their population than we are. House of and, Lords had 10 actively yeah. serving and House of Commons had 12 actively serving. Oh, I thought it was 17. I well, was I mean, combined, I don't know. Some oh, of them were sure. kind sure. of obscure because they had like a, a Welsh nationalist party and, oh, okay. you know, because okay. it's, they're different. Right, <laughs> so. right, right, right. But I mean, that, like that contrast for me, particularly when you said that, it was like, oh man, that is, that is painful. Like that is painful. Even if we, you know, believe that the Democrats and Republicans are genuinely on different sides and, and believe and support and advocate for different things. That's still painful <laughs> to only have two choices. It's so painful. Well, it uh, puts people on a line, you know, right, right. politics can't be on just a, a two dimensional right. line. It's, right. it's not just, that's not the way reality works. Right. Like I said, it's, you can't just look at one factor and say, you know, this is the one thing that determines the outcome. No, you have to look at unintended side effects, unintended consequences, all of that. And that's actually one reason that um, when I realized that the committee was voting on a task force to review this thing, you know, on one hand, it's like, ah, oh, task forces, good job, government, like being all slow. <laughs> but on the other hand, it was like, that is a very methodical way to do that. You know, like that is, that is, not just saying we think this is great let's do it let's be careless let's make this huge change without you know talking with the people who will implement this um so for me it was actually very very encouraging to see that they were being very methodical about it and and you know yeah doing it through a task force that would consider um those issues and and make sure that they they would try to minimize any unintended consequences and try to consider as many things as possible so so we have a few minutes left, but I wanted to hit on something. I want to ask your opinion on it because, I mean, I, I know I have my opinion, but um, the the voting trend and the way that the country is going and the, the way I feel like in Minnesota um, with the last election, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the Republican candidate lost by a landslide. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't even close. Yeah. And they can't, couldn't blame the libertarians in that race because we weren't even on the ballot. <laughs> so, you know, there wasn't, uh, th that was not our fault. Um, 
And, but it has created a situation in our state where they can't say, for you guys, I'm just pulling votes away from the Republicans because the Republicans are losing Mm -hmm. all on their own. They're not without any help from anybody else. So I feel like that that is going to help initiate a trend where people are going to, you know, presented with that situation, um, consider that maybe they're just not a viable option. And, you know, that maybe consider a third party that could in the future overcome the Democrats. Yeah. I mean, in a kind of, you know, related to that, this concept of, you know, wasting your vote on a third party and all of that, if you live in a district that's heavily one direction and you don't want that candidate, your vote is wasted, right? Like I, I, several months ago, you know, sold my house, moved. I was living in Ilhan Omar's district, okay? She does not represent me and there's no way anyone other than the Democrat. I mean, there was a very, very good fight, but her, her challenger was, um, I can't remember her name. She was a, um, an African-American you know, woman and she was just really inspiring and, and it was just really, really cool. So like there, there was, there was a fight, but even that, I mean, it was a landslide, right? So everybody who voted for a Republican in that district, guess what? Your vote was wasted. There's no chance, right? Or it's like voting, um, you know, for a Democrat in a really, really, really red area where they get 15% or 30% of the vote. Like that vote is wasted. You actually could do a lot more by voting for a third party so that the next election, you have more options because then they can get on the ballot. They can, you know, they they get a larger percent of the vote. So, I mean, when people, when you're looking at who to vote for, I mean, of course I'm like vote for the libertarian. They're probably going to be way better, but not always, but you know, generally. Um, But I really also for people who are on the edge and are using the, the, I don't want to waste my vote. You know, I really try to get them to think about what are the, what are the breakdowns in your district? You're voting not in an abstract, right? We don't have a national popular vote. We don't have a popular vote, right? It's it's based on these geographical areas. So look at your actual area and see if your vote doesn't matter anyway. And if not, then vote for somebody you actually want. I mean, if I can't convince you to just vote for something you want, that's the, that's the way I'm going to talk to you about it. Um, yeah, and but we have seen through American history, like you know, the political swing. Yeah, in particular, yeah, yeah. I think that it's the most evident in the South. Yeah. Um, you know, through the um, you know everything like with Martin Luther King and all that kind of stuff, and that we saw, you know, through the generations. Um, and I'm from the South, and I know it's very, and it's well, it's kind of starting to change and go back to blue in the major cities now. Right. Um, but growing up, it was all very. It was deeply read. And um, but, you know, looking at the history, too, I don't think it's so much, though, as though people are changing their minds, is that the younger generations are growing up with a different mindset. Yeah. And that, you know, eventually the older generations are going to die out. It's just the natural progression of, you know, being a human and that those uh, younger generations are going to become older and then are also going to have this you know, cultural opinion and that's going to sway the vote one way or the other. So, yeah, I mean, there is, you know, there, 
the most recent gubernatorial election in Minnesota was kind of a blowout. Um, but I, I, I'm not so sure that that particular outcome would have happened with a different Republican candidate, not saying the Republican candidate was part, you know, exceptionally bad, but there were some statements and, and, you know, things that forwarded that didn't have proper documentation and just gave enough gaffes or enough enough things that could be used as, you know, a sound bite that just seemed insane, you know? Uh, and yeah. So, I mean, I think it, it, that particular one, you know, if you have somebody else uh, doing it, it wouldn't necessarily have had the same outcome. And so I don't necessarily think it's, ne it's a trend. Um, and especially I, you know, if, if with what the, you know, Democrat controlled everything is happening in the government in the Minnesota government right now. I think that they are going to go so far out over their skis that the Minnesotans are going to kind of go a little bit, a little bit, not crazy, but really have a backlash to it, you know, being a sanctuary state for, um, you know, trans surgeries on minors, being a sanctuary state for abortion at all, at any point, being, having a huge surplus and spending it all and still raising taxes even more. And the gun control bills. And the gun control bills. I mean, like, all of these things are not Minnesota nice. They are not, like, discussing this reasonable, so I think, uh, rational. So I think that, that you know, once, particularly the LPMN now, you know, really starts translating these concepts into the language of normal people, um, that we really can wake a lot of people up and and I'm I know people like to joke about you know mini fornia or whatever um Cali soda um but I'm not completely <laughs> lost on this state I love this state I grew up here um and I think I think we're doing great work so well that looks like a good point to uh wrap up this episode uh thank you for coming on Carrie yeah thanks for having me it's been great chatting with you guys so I just want to point people again to the lpmn.org website if you want to join the Libertarian Party. Um, it only costs really five, ten dollars a month to become a party, and then you get a vote in the say uh, in the future of the Libertarian Party of Minnesota. So thank you for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you. And also remember, convention is this weekend. We are going to have potential Libertarian presidential candidates showing up to uh, pitch their their run for presidency that's why chase oliver will be here and there's a few others yeah awesome thank you